This is Tanya Rooney, and you are listening to The First Deal Show. Welcome to The First Deal Show with your host, Caroline with a K. On this show, we're talking about investors' first investment property. Join me for a trip down memory lane as we hear the good, bad, and ugly of that first deal. K with my wonderful guest who I just saw this past week, Tanya Rooney, who is a short-term rental and mid-term rental owner. She has a consulting company that does commercial real estate and hosts some badass real estate retreats six times a year with an ultimate goal of impacting 10 million people. So welcome, Tanya. So glad to have you here. Yay. I'm super stoked to be with you. This is exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So We always start the show the same way with the Kiss Me segment, and this is a way for me to kind of open you up and then get the 402 to learn a little bit more about Tanya on a personal level. So the first question always is, what was the first album that you purchased? So I don't remember, but I'm going to guess because I do remember having CDs, obviously, when I was little. Uh, But I'm going to go with it was probably Hanson or it was Alan Jackson. I know those are very different, but I remember those. um, You could buy like 12 CDs for a penny. I remember getting two Alan Jackson CDs from the penny program. (laughs) What? A penny? Uh, Yeah, you might. Like, I think it was Columbia Records or maybe... It wasn't MGM, but it was some kind of thing. You sent in and you just check the boxes and you're like, here... I'm going to pay a penny for these. And then the next time you had to pay full price for an album. But I was really young, so I doubt I ever paid for any albums more than, you know, a few bucks. (laughs) Was it like an infomercial thing where you saw on TV or? I'll be honest, I don't remember. Like, it was so long ago. You know, I was probably 12 when I started doing that. And um, other people my age totally know what it is. Like, I promise they would know that. <clears throat> you could buy all these CDs for a penny. I'm going to have to look it up now and probably send it to you. <laughs> oh, my. No. So 402, if you guys are of Tanya's generation, like, let us know. Did you guys buy an album for a penny? Because I'm really curious. Like, I think you got 10 message. albums for a penny, Caroline. What? Yeah, There's it was no like, way. Yeah, no, it was totally, it was totally a thing. Um, I promise. And it's funny that I'm saying that generation word because I'm like six or seven years older than you. <laughs> That's not very much. But still, <laughs> no, yeah. But- yeah, it makes a big difference because then they start doing different things. Like I grew up in the generation where you could get like hot, what is it like top twenty tracks or you know they had those. Oh, CDs. now it's called like yes. it's called now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So like you know they have like fifty two always... of them now. <laughs> yeah. No, they're still going, which is crazy. I know that's what I'm saying. It's like now fifty two or now fifty four. <laughs> yeah. So those I remember was like nine ninety nine. Like you, you know they. It was always a commercial where you could buy them with all the top songs because who cares about the other songs on the album? Um, <laughs> it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah. But you're the first person to like, well, because I've had someone who's like a few years younger than me and he actually has never purchased a CD. So he's only bought like music digitally. You know, I have so nuts. many totes of CDs still and I'm just like, oh my God, is this the pack rat in me that I like don't want to get rid of them because I feel bad? Like, what am I supposed to do with all these CDs? Like, we have hundreds of CDs. And my husband is older than me, and he has triple the amount of CDs that I have. We have stacks of them. I'm like, what do you do with these at this point? I don't even know. 
I mean, they might be collectibles. Uh, you know, not just... yet, because now it's now it's back to records, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, if you have if you have records, those are totally collectibles, and like people are coming back out with, you know, that throwback is totally happening. Like I've seen people in short term rentals, like that's a thing. They're like, hey, here's a record player, and here's what guns of records. So oh, I wow. think it, it could come back around, but you know, they're so scratched, it doesn't matter because you threw them all over your car, and it's like, yeah, eh, whatever. I, I was I was more of a like I make my own CDs. I probably have fifty of my own like burned CDs with all the all of my favorite songs. <laughs> yes! Oh my god, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and That's the CDs awesome. always have like summer mix, twenty twelve. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, what was I like in twenty twelve? And then what was I like in two thousand four? And oh. I it's really fun to put those in the CD player if they don't skip to all heck. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember doing that too. So that's awesome. Um, cool. So what would you say has been now uh, to our regular, regularly scheduled programming of real estate? What was the biggest challenge that held you back from investing in real estate? So I think when I started, um, I didn't, I, I really didn't have a challenge in it. I wasn't held back from it. I like decided one day, I was actually irritated with a commercial client. They wanted to save a little bit of money on a big, huge project, and that made me mad. I was just like, I don't want to deal with this. Like, this is crazy. He wanted to save $2 million, two, no, $2,000 on a $8 million project. I'm just like, this is this is silly. Like, you're making my job harder. So a couple of days later, like, I called a friend that was in residential real estate, asked her what I should do. And she's like, hey, start listening to Bigger Pockets and buy a house. So three months later, I bought a house. Like the only barrier I had was looking for a house. So um, I didn't really have it, but I would, I would definitely say there were still challenges, I think in the first like two or three deals, and it was money scarcity, which I feel like is very, very common, is money scarcity. And it's about like, oh, what, how am I gonna get money for this house? So yeah, I, I would say that could still be a biggest challenge. Yeah, for sure. The money, money mindset, money scarcity. I feel like those are always the biggest thing. The hurdles for most people trying to get into the business is like, you're always worried about where am I going to get this money and how am I going to be able to put this deal together. Um, but then you get to a certain point where you just know it like, doesn't matter anymore. You get to this point and you're like, oh, that's not a barrier. Literally not a barrier at all. A hundred percent. So, with that being said. I love to learn about people during the pandemic times because, I mean, we still kind of are in a pandemic. I don't know. So I always <laughs> I ask know. my guest, what is something new that you learned or did during the pandemic that others might not know about you? So I actually put some thought into this and I couldn't think of something super new. Like I had a ton of changes in the pandemic. Like I quit my corporate job right when it started. <laughs> like I think a month later there was a pandemic and, you know, I was finishing up a project for the commercial real estate company I'd worked for. And they're like, uh, yeah, like, well, we just finished this beautiful new space and they didn't move in, but I left. So it doesn't mean like I left the corporate world. So that was pretty big. But I think probably one of the biggest things that I did during it, and it wasn't necessarily because of the pandemic, but I started doing a mile a day, like my mile a day challenge. And people do, like if, if anybody's listening that does know me, they probably know about the mile a day. But, um, but it's still, it's something I did actually start while I was in the pandemic. So that's pretty cool. 
Oh, wow. Okay, so the story's out. So 402, for those of you that don't know, Tanya actually is the one that inspired me to start running one mile a day because she's been, I don't know, she's been doing the savers thing and it's been like, what, three years at this point or something? Yeah, I'll be at uh, day 1300 of my Miracle Morning, my modified Miracle Morning, because I don't do it in the morning, guys. But um, I'll be on day 1300, I think, next week. And then, but in addition to that, I do a mile a day. I did a mile a day because I was inspired by another guy that I met in real estate that was just like doing a mile a day from um, Memorial Day to Labor Day. And then I was like, wait a minute, like I could just keep going and do a whole year. Well, I was unable to do a whole year. I was like 45 days away from a whole year and I had to have surgery on my feet. So I couldn't walk. I tried. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to try. Yep. I couldn't cause it was both feet. <laughs> and, and I, I had done some very slow miles at that point, you know, like a 40 minute mile. And it's because I shuffled because I was having something done to my foot. And, um, so I did have to stop, which was such a bummer. So I, I waited the month because, um, then I was able to walk better and I started again. So I got my mile a day. Um, you know, after like the second time <laughs> and now I just started like, and you know, May 1st was when I started or when I got my mile a day for 365 and I'm still doing it. Now I just added in biking or rowing or I can do a mile of whatever. I, it used to be walking or running only. And now, um, now I still do that. Um, I just don't really post about it. Now I post about a thank you a day. So it's a little different. Yeah, no. So very inspirational and inspiring and the consistency, it's like it's very very motivating so thank you for doing that um and then the final question is what is your favorite quote so this is another one i had a i had a tough time with because i don't really go back to any quotes specifically but i think the one that's probably changed my life um is uh my director at cbre had said it and he told me it'll be a good project and it's funny because I have this printed on a shirt now. I put it on some towels because when I left my team um, at CPRE, like I gifted them some things and, and they all knew what I was talking about immediately. There was only five of us. But um, my director, Reed Holloman, always used to say, it'll be a good project. Whether it was going to be a good project or not, it doesn't matter. But I think that like morphed me. It literally like it has had the biggest impact on me Like because I met him probably 10 or 11 years ago. Oh, no, 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 like eight years ago. And he just talked about, no, Tanya, it'll be a good project. And they said that about anything. It didn't matter. And I think once it got ingrained into me, I realized it's totally true. Like, I know that we lose, like we lose some when we win some. That's just like life. But if you, if you like have the outlook of it'll be a good project, it just means like it'll be a good experience. Like um, losing money although it sucks, it doesn't matter. It's still a good experience because you need to have that like under your belt so that you can do other things. Like your journey is full of ups and downs. So in a weird way, like that's probably my favorite quote. And it's because my husband even says it to me now. He's like, Tanya, it'll be a good project. It's fine. And he says it, I mean, we say it in jest, but it's completely true. Like it changed the way I think about a ton of things when you actually like dig down and be like, yeah, it was a good project. Yeah, I lost $10,000, I lost $4,000 or, or, or gained $30,000. It's always a good project because it's a good experience. Like it's all a good experience to have under your belt. And sometimes it's cheaper than college. So, <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be a good project is probably my favorite quote. Like it's gotta be at this point. Yeah, that's awesome. I've, okay. 
it's it's surprising I don't know it's like just a very simple thing but and it, it also resonates with me so much because um the guy that I was um uh, that I worked for was just an incredible human being I learned so much from him and uh, yeah so that made a pretty big difference yeah absolutely you know people that impact you directly are going to have a big influence on you so that's awesome um so with that being said where are you located and where are you primarily investing um okay i live in the twin cities uh which is in minnesota i have recently found out people don't call it the twin cities except for us because they don't know but we're so we're minneapolis and st paul um i live in st paul we invest in in and around the twin cities like it's like there's a ton of cities that just kind of uh, mash together, uh, the main ones being Minneapolis and St. Paul. So I have houses in St. Paul, and I have a couple in Minis- Minneapolis. And then we've done small cities like South St. Paul and uh, Coon Rapids and just some of the suburbs around it. So just Minnesota so far. Awesome. So we didn't get into it, but Tanya in her former life was a uh, flipper. So she actively ran different projects and it kind of tied into her background in commercial real estate, being a project manager and managing those big uh, deals. Um, So with that being said, let's get into your first deal, right? So that first project that you bought when you're like, I don't want to work in commercial real estate anymore. I'm not happy doing this. Uh, What, you know, what got you sold on getting into real estate yeah i um i like you know that fateful morning it was a saturday morning when that guy like um i was talking to somebody about a contract we needed to award and i was talking to a coworker as well as the client i'm just like this is nonsense like i don't know like i need to be in the driver's seat like i actually loved my job at cbre it was it was one of the best things that's ever happened to me it was so cool i've gotten such good experience there the amount of networking like the people that i have in my network i didn't even realize how incredible it was going to be until probably a year ago, which is funny because we've been flipping or doing like real estate stuff since probably 2017. Um, so that was that was really awesome. But I think uh, it was more I, I needed to get into the driver's seat. It needed to be like, you know, I can control the hours that I put in. I can control like when you think about you have a, a corporate job or any job for that matter, it doesn't have to be corporate, but you're, you're building somebody else's dreams. And it's not necessarily that, you know, flipping was my dreams. It was flipping is going to get me to something different that I wanted to be in. Um, so the first deal that we got, it's funny because um, the first offer I ever made on an investment property I got I did not close on it, but literally I never made an offer on anything except for, you know, the house two houses that I lived in prior and uh I didn't know much about like you know that kind of real estate like bigger pockets taught me a ton of things I'm just like all right I can do this I can handle it and um the first ever one I I put an offer in and then I got an inspection and it wasn't good enough I'm just like for my first flip this is probably not a good idea so I backed out so but I'm like one of the few people that the first offer I ever made I actually got it accepted and it was for under asking and all that, but, um, but probably That's impressive. So I know like, it's what, crazy. <laughs> what were the issues with the property? Um, this one, like, I mean the whole entire house, like it realistically, the people that ended up buying it after me, they didn't do this, but realistically to be a safe house, they probably should have jacked the whole entire house up and put like a new foundation on because it was like, there were jacks. There was probably 10 jacks in the basement, like keeping this house up. It was just like, so, and if you looked in the living room, it was like the, the floors were beautiful, but they were wavy. Like they were uh, hardwood floors and you could see like a wave through them. 
and it just like the house leaned and it was just it was just something that it's like this is probably not the right idea again it was it was my first deal there are there's totally people that could handle that um i i would I would have been able to. I probably would have lost money, but I would have been able to figure it out. But, um, yeah, I was happy with that decision. Because then, honestly, like a month later, maybe a few weeks later, I actually don't know the timeline of this, I had a house under contract. And um, do you want me to just hop into that one? Yeah, yeah. So this is the the official, like, first. Yeah, my first, first flip. Deal. Yeah, my first yeah. flip um, was we um, – it was initially on the MLS for $130,000. Um, it had been sitting for a little bit. It definitely needed work. Like, <laughs> when we got there, like, when we actually started to flip it, we took out um, – like, the kitchen had to go down to the studs. So we took out the drop ceiling in the kitchen. And um, <laughs> above one of the tiles, there was a bucket. The bucket was wired – to the um, to the floor joists on the second floor, and it was full of water <laughs> above the um, drop ceiling. So uh, we still, yeah, like I'm like it was a great deal. <laughs> wait, but, wait, what is a drop ceiling? So you pulled back a tile and then you found a bucket filled yeah. of water. There's literally a bucket full of water above that, and it was hanging by um, by some wire. Like the bucket was because the bucket couldn't sit on the drop ceiling. The bucket would get too heavy with all that water in it. So there was literally a bucket. Um, so that's the kind of like house that we got into. So it was sitting on the market for quite a while. Um, it was initially on the MLS for 130k, and then we locked it in at 115, and then we actually closed it at 107 because like the week of closing or maybe two weeks prior to closing the like we used a hard money lender and our appraisal came back $10,000 lower. So I'm like, we don't have any more money. <laughs> like we didn't have enough money for like to, to bring, to bring to the table if we wouldn't have gotten the, you know, the decrease. So they were like, okay, so we actually closed it. So it started out on the MLS at 130 K we locked it in 115 and then we closed it at 107. So they went down with us. Wow, that's some pretty good negotiation skills on your part. <laughs> um, I cannot take credit for that. I actually had an amazing um, real estate agent. Like, and and that's that's something that I tell everybody. Like, your real estate agent, when you're on your first deal, they're gonna br- make or break you. Like, because they have to help you run numbers. Because you don't know what the heck how to run numbers. Are you kidding? Like, I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. I um, and I was winging it with con- construction costs. Like, I thankfully, you know, was. Pretty close, but you have to have your your team on your first deal is like the biggest. They're gonna make or break you. They're gonna they're gonna essentially help you decide personally if you'll ever do it again. Because if it's a bad experience with buying, if it's a bad experience with construction, if it's a bad banking experience, if you lose if, if you lose a lot of money because you didn't estimate right, like you're gonna be so deterred. Some people are resilient. A lot of people are not resilient when it comes to stuff like that. Like the amount of people, like once you start getting into real estate and the amount of people you talk to them, well, I tried that. And then they'll insert excuse here, why I'm never doing it again. And it's the same thing that when you're around people that you say, oh, I have rentals. And they're like, how on earth would, or why would you want to take calls about broken toilets? I'm like, do do you guys expect like there's a broken toilet every month with every property? Like, do you think there's literally people breaking toilets? Like, you think I buy them like 12 of them a year? Like, I I find that to be like the most interesting excuse that I'm kind of like, okay, you at home personally. So sometimes my my parents kind of talk about this. They're like, well, I wouldn't want to take calls on that. I'm just like, how many times is your, like, I grew up in my family farmhouse. 
My parents still live there. That house has been there for a very long time. So I lived in it for 20 years or 18 years. And then they still live in it. And I'm 36. And that toilet in our main bathroom has never been replaced. <laughs> like, oh not once. So, like, wow. seriously, when you, like, think about that, like, the, the I feel like that's the one thing a lot of people like to say, like, I'm not taking calls about broken toilets. It's like, how often does your toilet break at your own house? Like, there's definitely tenants that do that, but I don't know. It seems like a really weird excuse. But Oh, yeah. Wow. So that <laughs> toilet probably got like 50, 60 years on it. Totally. I think I, it's got to be at least like 35 years old. I Like it has to be. Like there's no Ooh. way. Like yeah. family farmhouse is how it works. Like we don't replace things if they don't need to be replaced. <laughs> you know, that's actually, that brings up a good point about how back then things were made to last, right? Uh, like A bit, yeah. Yeah, like now we have planned obsolescence. So like your car is eventually going to break down. Your computer is going to break down. But your like, iPhone, back- your iPhone will only last a certain amount of time. My dad, I go back and forth with him. I'm just like, he's like, my phone's not working anymore. Can you help me? And I'm just like, dad your iPhone is eight years old. Like, no, I can't help you. You like just have to upgrade. Well, why should I have to do that? I'm like, I don't know, because that's the way they're built. I cannot help you, but you would need to just get a new iPhone. Like that's, that's the solution. And I know it sucks, but it's just true. So you're right, Carolyn. That this is like, this is like, they do. They just like built that in. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's gotta be at least eight years old. I'm just like, dude, like this thing is so heavy. I have no idea how it still works to this day. It's like, well, I always have to have it on the charger. I'm like, I know it's because it's so old. Like the battery is like, nah, I'm good. So you're right. Things are built very differently these days than they used to be. That's pretty impressive, though, that he's made the phone last that long. Like, yeah. wow. He ju- he well, he finally like got through that. He he had like all kinds of razors. Like he was a Motorola razor oh, guy. Too. Yeah. And like, I mean. Like, he had, like, four of them. As in, like, he had backups in case his razor, like, cracked out. I'm like, whatever, dude, you're crazy. Now he's got an iPhone, so, and he's like, oh, how do I do this? <laughs> so, you know. <clears throat> oh, wow. Okay. So, back Sorry, to back own. to real estate. <laughs> I digress fast. <laughs> it's all good. Makes for a good conversation. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, you know, we, we bought it on the MLS. We did all of this negotiating. We used a hard money lender. I, um, I think a lot of people are really close minded when it comes to hard money. They're like, I'm not paying 12% or 10% or 15%. That's crazy. And I'm like, will you still make money? And most of the time the answer is yes. So when we were shopping for our first house, um, first real estate, uh, investment house, it was, um, like it, it was already in the deal. Like it was part of the spreadsheet. It's like, I know I'm going to be 12, paying him 12%. I know I'm going to be paying him a couple of points. And how do I find the deal? So I was literally just looking for the unicorn deals that I could have the least amount of money. Like my, it's, it's still my goal. How do I bring a deal? Uh, like how do I get a deal to the table with no money out of my pocket? Because I know I'm going to need to use my money for something. Like there's always bills. There's always something that comes up and I'm like, ah, shoot. So I use, like, I want my money to be the ah, shoot money. And I want, you know, private lenders money or whatever for this. But in this case, like I used, I used a hard money lender. He is fantastic. Actually, like he was not the sharky kind that you think of. That's like 17% and they just start taking advantage of you. I did not feel like I was taken advantage of. I still talk to this guy, you know, four or five years later, he is fantastic. Like I've, I've recommended him to all kinds of people. I've spoke at one of his 
he has, he has some kind of event like once a year and I, I've spoke at that and stood up and said yeah you should use this guy because he he like walked to the house with me um you know if you're brand new you'd be surprised at how many people want to help you and see you be successful you'd also be surprised at how many people don't want that but if you can find the right people you need to attract the right people you need you need to have the good conversations and be truthful with your conversations and he helped. Like he came in and he's like, Yep, Tanya, I think these numbers are right. I think maybe you should pad this this part of your budget and those kinds of things. So like he was truly a partner on the deal. I would still use him to this day. Um, I have a lot cheaper money now. <laughs> but because that's one of the most important steps. Like once you start getting into it, it's getting cheaper money. But um, but it was awesome. So I was just looking for unicorn deals that I didn't have to bring. So they were 70% of the ARV um, once they were fixed up. And if there's 70% of ARV, like I could have all the money. I didn't have to bring. He's like, Tanya, if it's under this number, I don't care. You can have all the money. It just has to be 70% of ARV or less. So if I came in, you know, if it was going to sell for 200 and I came in on 100, I could get 110 or whatever the math is. Sorry, I can't do it that quick. But, you know, I, he, he would give me the extra money. Like I've walked away at closing with money from a hard money lender. Um, wow. So yeah, that was super cool. We did have to come in. We probably came in with eight thousand, I think, on closing costs and things. That was just from our account. We had we had money sitting. Um, I think we had sold our own house and were in a new house and still had some money sitting, like left over from the first sale. Um, of so personal you, Yeah, and then you kind of talked about how the agent needs to be important, how your lending, your person for with lending needs to be important. So like, how did you find these people? Because I think that might be a concern, right? The 402 is like, okay, great, I got to find all these awesome people. But like, what was your process in order to know like, okay, these are solid people that I can work with and that are going to do right by me? Yeah, so um, I like this is this is a hard one for me. And I've realized it's hard because I can say things and that doesn't mean that's other people's experience. My experience, I'm I'm a people person. Like, I'm driven by human beings. I'll be honest, I think my superpower is human beings. Like, I like to talk to people. I like to... So I, so I find these people that are really awesome. Well, I got my agent because... Um, so the whole reason is from a girl at the gym. And she, she's a broker and an agent. She actually helped us find our house and stuff like that. So she had told me, I'm just like, hey, Amy, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to flip a house. Like, can you help me? And she's like, I have a new agent who is a flipper and she's just becoming an agent now. Um, she just had a baby, so she's new, but, um, do you want to meet with her? And we had coffee and, um, she just kind of did the intro. And then, you know, I worked with her for a year and a half or something or two years and she made tons of offers for me. She was really, really willing. So it's about like what that person's background is as an agent because everybody knows everybody can be an agent literally anybody in the world can be an agent and uh which makes it really tough for us as buyers because uh everyone wants to say well oh, i have a great agent and they said they work with investors and i'm just like do they really work with investors because i don't think that's true because agents are awesome especially the ones that hustle for homeowners um i'm not looking for an agent to hustle for a homeowner i'm looking for an agent that understands construction that understands i mean they don't have to understand that, but they have to understand, like, I'm going to be spending money. Like, I'm going to be spending 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80, I think 100,000 was probably the biggest flip that we did, or we, like, we put in $100,000. I, you have to have a person that kind of understands that, because if they don't understand, like, what an ARV is and how to figure it out, they're probably not for you. 
I, it's not the best idea to find somebody who's trying to learn how to be an investor-friendly agent on your first one because you need somebody that's you know potentially already done a flip themselves. They understand that this is how much it costs. And uh, so things like that. So when you find people, you have to ask a lot of questions and it's about networking. It's all about like, who do you know? Facebook groups are great, but you kind of have to take them with a grain of salt because there's a lot of people that do self-promotion in those groups and people that will recommend somebody that maybe they've never used them. Uh, like those, they're just kind of dangerous. So I found like um, joining groups, like you physically have to go to a bar and go talk to somebody like, we have a lot of meetups in our area, and it's they're small enough that they're you know a dozen people that they just have met a brewery or something. But otherwise, like you got to join your local RIA, you got to network there, you have to you know like do a lot of searching. I think Bigger Pockets actually has a way to do that, so I know people who have done that. You have to find a me. Like I'll be honest, like I like to refer people out, so people reach out to me like, oh Tanya flips. Like the more you get yourself out there, the more people will know you are. Um, you know, a resource. So if I was a person that hadn't done a flip, I'd probably be trying to find the people that are flipping houses. Like you can usually find them. They have billboards or they send you mail. Like I have mail. I get mail all the time. So you just save that postcard and call that person and be like, Hey, like I need an agent. Can you help me? So it's all about like who you're talking to and who you're networking with. I find that to be the most important thing to build your team. Cause I think she helped me like my broker, had helped me find my agent. She helped me find a couple of contractors. And then she helped me find um, my hard money lender as well. So, yeah. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I could just keep talking, Caroline. <laughs> no, yeah, no. I, I, that, and that was a lot of really good information as far as like, okay, so this is the path, right? You, It sounds like you went in and just used the people that you knew to kind of lead you to the right people, which is important, right? Because if you have experience with someone, you know that they'll do right by you. Like they're not going to lead you astray and give you someone that's bad, kind of like those Facebook groups. Yeah, um, yeah like you have to use your village. <laughs> like, um, you know, like it's about creating the ripple effect. Like this person gave me all these people. And it's funny, like I, I, remember, I remember getting my electrician. He was on my first flip. He is still my electrician to this day. And I refer him out to all kinds of people. And and the cool part about that is I can call him and he might be three weeks out. Like literally, he's just kind of, I feel like he's always three weeks out to do any work. But I can call him and be like, oh, Rich, I really need help. Um, This happened and I don't know how to fix it. And I have guests coming or I have this happening. And he's like, okay, we'll be in the area. Um, You know, just give me the lockbox code. I'll be there within the next week. So like it's all about networking. Like it's all about like, you know, the, the community you create around yourself. And you know, if they're really good at doing things, you need to tell other people about it and you'll move up on their list. Um, but it was all from the same people. Like Jamie gave me my, you know, my electrician, uh, somebody else gave me my plumber. Like it's just, and those are the people that have been with me the entire time. That's great. So you've really used your network to build a solid mm-hmm. team for you locally, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, kind of going back to your deal. So you guys finally got it under contract and then you start mm-hmm. construction. Like how long did that take? And what, you know, did you end up selling it and making money on it, losing money? What was the end result from that experience? Yeah. So, uh, we learned a lot. It was kind of cool. Cause we did, we did make money, which was super neat. Cause I've talked to enough accountants. They're like, you made money in your first flip. That's really neat. 
because a lot of people don't. And so we were just kind of hoping that we would make make some money on it. Um, we made we made twenty four thousand on it, which is super cool. Um, the rehab, um, I think it took like just under three months. Oh, I have a spreadsheet. Um, it, it says like it took us. So we bought it in August of twenty eighteen, and we sold it in January. So the rehab took about three months. It stayed on the market for probably a month, month and a half, and then. Um, the magic of real estate. We were actually in Bali when we accepted an offer on it. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. And that's like, that's honestly one of our whys. Like, we really love to travel. Um, it's just me and my husband, Matt. Uh, we don't have any kids or anything and don't intend to have kids. We intend to have houses and travel. Like, that's what we like to do. So that was probably one of the coolest things that happened is like real estate can be done from everywhere. Um, we did a lot of the work, you know, locally, but um, you know, some pieces of the puzzle when you get to be in different countries, like how, how fun is that? I've been in different States negotiating things, but we were literally in Bali. I think like (laughs) on the side of a cliff, like looking at monkeys or something. I remember there were monkeys because I literally had to go to a different area of the like park that we were in so that I could hear her because there were monkeys like whooping, like how, how crazy (laughs) and magical can that be? But um, but we did. We probably did about fifty percent of the work ourselves. We hired out electrical, plumbing, flooring, and painting. Like I remember painting it. one oh my god! I was totally listening to Napoleon Hill, and uh, my husband had to work that Saturday. His like his W two job. He's a crane operator, so he was at work, and I was like, okay, I'll just go over there and start painting. Um, so I'm I'm painting, and I had to paint in a closet. And I was like, I hate painting. This is awful. Um, I had a guy out there three hours later, like to give me a quote to paint it. I was like, okay. I, I just started calling people. I'm like, nope, I'm not doing this. I hate everything about this. I do not like to paint. Um, it's funny because there are people who know that about me because I will complain about it this exact same way that I'm doing. I'm just like, oh my God, I hate painting. Um, if I just have to paint like one wall, you know, and it's maybe like 10 by 10, I'm totally in. But uh, anything else. I'm just like, nah, this isn't, nope, this is not where I should be. So we, we learned a lot on that first project. Like we did like, oh my God, like I think we hung drywall and everybody knows that drywall, you want to have a lesson. You want to know, like I enjoy telling people they should do a portion of their own flip on the first one, because then you realize what it's worth. I know spending money on drywall, you know, yep, it's going to, it's going to cost us $400 for the drywall. It's going, but we're going to have to carry it in. We're going to have to put it up. We're going to have to screw it in. It's going to take us four times longer than a crew would because we don't know what we're doing. But now I know why I'm willing to pay however much a square foot for drywall. I have, I have zero, like, I mean, my husband's like, yeah, I can mud and tape, but I don't want to. Like, you know, you, you like over sand just a little bit and then you ruin the whole thing and you have to start over. So, um, so that like, I really do encourage a lot of people, like, I don't think people should do, uh, the permanent stuff like electrical and plumbing. I, I really don't like that's, you know, leave that to the professionals. Don't zap yourself. Don't in plumbing, you can screw up plumbing really bad. So just don't, don't, you know, in, unless you have a background in it, don't, don't DIY that because <laughs> you can get a lot of trouble later. Like, I mean, I know people who get sued like a year later because something went wrong. So just don't do that. But some of the other stuff, like if you're willing to try and put some hustle in, do it because you'll realize how much it's worth it. Like landscaping. I know landscaping is like a super easy sweat equity thing, but 
if it's like just pouring out mulch, I'm like totally in. Like, oh, cool. Let's like get these 10 bags of mulch. Let's cut the tops of them and then pour them and then spread it around. That sounds great. But if you got to redo a yard, nah, I'm good. Like you got to pick the things, but you, you kind of like when you're on your first flip, you should be like getting enough knowledge that you realize, oh, this is how long it took me. Well, if I, if I have a professional, it should take them a little bit less or more substantially less time. But they're worth the, the price. They're worth the price of admission every single time. So, like, take yeah. advantage of stuff like that. And, uh, you know, also don't over-rehab. Like, I actually have, like, a lessons learned. I, I, I was smart wow. enough with this flip that I went through and get, did lessons learned. Like, what, what thing is – and, like, the top one is what time is worth. Like, I learned that. What contractors are worth. Like, because they – you know, I'm not going to paint the outside of a house. Are you kidding? I'm going to pay that out. So you realize what they're worth. And then don't over-rehab things. I put post-it notes on every single door in this house that we bought. And I put post-it note on, you know, I'm going to change the door handle. I'm going to change this. I'm going to change that. I'm going to change out the screens. I'm going to change out all the um, the outlets. Uh, I'm going to do the flooring. And then I'm going to paint. So my realtor came over just to see the project. Or my broker actually had come over. She just wanted to see the project. And she goes, um, don't do this, this, or this. She's like, homeowners can do these things. Like, that's why a team member, like like having a good real estate agent, like I would have spent an extra thousand bucks. And yeah, that's not that much, especially when you start flipping, like thousand dollars isn't much. But it's it's little things, you know, it's death by a thousand cuts. Like don't, um, don't over rehab things because you gotta think about the things that a homeowner so somebody buying a house doesn't want to do. They don't want to redo the bathroom. They don't. They don't know how to redo floors. They can paint. You should always. You should paint. Like there should be a fresh coat of paint. If if it's a room that you know doesn't necessarily need paint, cool. But don't leave the room. You know, bright green or bright orange. Whereas the rest of the house is gray or white. But um, but still, like don't over rehab. Like you don't have to change out all the door handles because a homeowner is going to get in that house and be like, oh, I don't like this color wall, so I'm going to paint it. And they might change out a light fixture. It's you know, like we just do, we do Costco light fixtures that are $25 and they're great light fixtures, but somebody else can change it out if they don't like it. $25 isn't that big of a deal. So same with like handles, like, uh, there's just certain things that like a homeowner is going to do when they get in there. If it's aesthetics, then you should do it, but don't over rehab. Like you got to find somebody that can tell you to not over rehab. And that's like, a a real estate agent that sells houses that sells houses fast and a lot you can say like these are the things i'm doing is this okay like a homeowner's not going to put in a new bathtub but you are because you're a flipper so just you know whatever no and that's yeah those are really <laughs> great tips for people that are looking to start flipping right especially mm-hmm. as a means to an end as far as generating some kind of income before they can go and buy you know other properties or whatever it is that they want to do mm-hmm. um so tell us like if there's like if you could go back right in time because now you're not flipping anymore you're focused primarily on short-term rentals and that's something that's kind of come up more recently as like a thing that people do actively right it's like you can generate a lot of income from that and that could be like a full-time job um because you're you basically have a hotel (laughs) um so what's a piece of advice that you might give yourself you know four or five years ago to old tanya um, before you got into real estate investing? Like, what's something that you would suggest or have yourself think about or consider? Um, honestly, I really, really like, you know, to, like I said earlier, it'll be a good project. I like I like the journey of things. So I can't say that I would really give myself any advice except for um, join a mastermind. And I did join a mastermind, like, within 
eight months of my first flip, like we joined a mastermind and it was like, okay, well, how are we going to do this at scale? How can I quit my job? I can't quit my job if I'm only doing one flip at a time. Like it's not, that's not reasonable. So I joined a mastermind. So I can't, like, I would just tell myself to probably look into it faster, but I mean, it had to happen the way it happened, which was, it was absolutely incredible the way everything kind of unfolded. Like my little, my little timeline of everything is fantastic, um, especially I, re- I like to reflect on those things. So I like to look back and be like, oh, my God, like this is the this is the conversation I had. I know which conversations changed everything for me in different ways. And I can yeah. still talk about those conversations. Um, so I, I would say, like, get help. Like, I know that masterminds can be expensive, um, but that's a really close minded way to think about it. Because um, a mastermind should double, triple, quadruple your wealth. Like, um, you know, you imagine if you make $20,000 per flip. I know people that only want to make 20000 Well, I know people that also make 100000 per flip. They won't do a flip if they aren't going to make 100000 on it. So you start surrounding yourself with those kinds of people, you'll understand how to do things. And then you need to network with those people. Like, you need to actually talk to them. Like, how cool is it? that I, I had one house. Uh, we had to redo the stairs, like the central stairs in the whole entire house. And this contractor was on the second or third time redoing them because I'm just like, this doesn't look right. So I FaceTimed with a contractor in Ohio that I trusted because I created a really good relationship with him. And I'm just like, Paul, this looks weird. And he's like, ah, yeah, this guy's an absolute hack. You need to fire him and get somebody else. And they need to do this, this, and this. And that's all because of other people. Like, I mean, you're a teacher, so you understand. Like, we all... We have to rely on other people. If you think that you are solo and you're the only person that either this matters to or that you're the only person that has gone through this, like you are very close minded and you are not going to get very far. We have to like I, I rely on a community of humans that help me with things this morning. I literally had a conversation this morning because I have this house. I don't want to buy it. I just want to wholetail it. I just want to like buy it, you know, for a, like a month, maybe two. And I want to do a seller carry back. And the seller said he'll totally do it. So that means like he's going to carry the loan for me for a couple of months. Um, so I, but I had to call one of my guys. I'm just like, uh, Jeremiah, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you like, can you tell me? And then he told me a couple of things. I'm like, oh, I know how to do that. And he's like, yeah, of course you do. Like, because, you know, he was talking about subject two versus, um, you know, just seller carry back, which is a normal loan. And I'm just like, wait. Well, yeah, so I explained some details, and I was like, oh, I totally know. So I utilize other people to, like, they're my colleagues, they're my peers. Like, I don't have colleagues anymore. Like, I'm just, like, a solo person. I've got a couple of people that work for me, but you don't have this team. Like, I used to rely on my director when I had a question about a client or how to deal with, like, hey, I missed this on the budget, and now I have to tell them there's this big, huge budget snafu. What do I do? And he would coach me through it. Well, if you join a mastermind, you essentially find colleagues that will help you coach you through. Like, you want to hang out with the people that were doing deals in 2008. Like, I want to know what they think more than anybody because we're in a time that's really confusing right now. And people think it's scary. And and it's just a word. Like, scary is just a word that people are assigning what's going on right now. Or they're overwhelmed or whatever. Or they're daunting or, you know, something is daunting. Well, we're just assigning those words to this kind of thing. Like you're giving that word so much power and you need to pull it back in and surround yourself with people that know what the heck they're doing. They know what they're talking about. Um, and then and then just go like, what's the worst that could happen? You could lose some money like <laughs> that's really not the worst that could happen. Like if you really dig into what's the worst that could happen if I did my first deal, 
losing money isn't isn't that big of a deal like i mean you just make more later like so you just find a different way because losing that money you just like paid for an education so it's the same as going to college it's the same as spending fifteen thousand dollars a year on college well you just lost ten thousand dollars well you literally just paid for an education and guess what nobody can take that experience away from you like you just made all those mistakes and now you get to take them to your next project and not make them or you know be a little bit more aware so it's just about like like find people that know what the heck they're doing and copy them like people have been flipping houses for years and years and years why not just follow what they were doing like we clearly know that it can bring wealth and flipping doesn't necessarily bring wealth flipping brings you enough money that you can buy houses that you would keep and then create actual wealth because um there aren't old flippers and it's true it's because flipping is exhausting not saying that people shouldn't do it but it's not it's it's a full-time job like you are creating a business that will definitely give you a job (laughs) yeah and i think you hit on some really great points um to kind of bring it all back right is this idea that okay if you want to get into real estate there's so many different ways to do it and just touching on this idea of like okay flipping is one of them but you're creating another job so you have to ask yourself like what is your end goal and then surrounding yourself with the right people and i think people underestimate this right how much we are influenced by the people that are around us so like if everyone you know has always worked a job then they're going to tell you like this doesn't work right even if you make or lose money they're still going to tell you like oh why are you doing that like it's too much time you shouldn't put your effort into something like that but you won't know anything else unless you're with the people who have been doing this since 2008, right? Who are like, you can see as a clear example of like, wow, this person's been doing this a long time. I'm going to follow what they say because I just did one and I want to do more. But like your friends and family aren't necessarily going to know or, you know what I mean? So Yeah, well, absolutely. Like how many people do they know? Like do you, like when we start, how many people do you know that are financially free? I didn't know. I did know and I didn't know that they were financially free. So now you get into this world and you're like, oh, you want to hang out with the people that are financially free, that literally are millionaires. Like why wouldn't I want to hang out with the people that I can hang out with on a Tuesday? Because right now... You know, I consider myself semi-retired. I still work. I still do stuff. I actually, like, it's just some days I only work a couple hours, and some days I work a lot more. So I consider myself semi-retired, so now I have to find other people that are either retired or semi-retired. And I don't know if you guys know, the population that is retired is not typically, like, I mean, I actually do have plenty of friends that are in their 50s and 60s. I love hanging out with them, but try to find somebody in their 30s that wants to go and um, hang out on the lake on a Tuesday afternoon and have a cocktail, like in the middle of the lake. That's not like a thing. (laughs) So like find the people that you want to hang out with. Like you start learning about these people and you're like, oh yeah, I can go hang out with them. And they're, you know, they're financially free or um, they, you know, I want to follow them because they, you know, in 10 years, like I know people who've gone from bankrupt to financially free in 10, 10 years. And when you're friends with those people, they want to help you. It's so amazing. Like the communities out there, you find the right people and they want to help you do that. And it took them 10 years. So if you follow their principles or their, their guide, their guidance, it should only take you five. And then in five years, you could be on a boat with them in you know bali like how cool is that so yeah like you gotta you gotta find the people you gotta find your tribe and the people that aren't that are your tribe today will never be your tribe in five years like they they just can't be especially if you want to be successful because my tribe was very different i still talk to those people it just doesn't just they're not my everyday tribe 
because they don't understand the ups and downs of real estate. You have to find the people that understand the ups and downs of real estate. That you know, you you make ten or twenty thousand dollars in one day because you close on a deal, but on that same day, you know, um, a pipe bursts and you know you're going to lose five thousand. Yeah, like that stuff happens. So you have to hang out with the people that can talk you off the ledge <laughs> from stuff like that. <laughs> it's just it behooves you to find those people. <laughs> Oh, yeah, 100, 100 percent. Yeah. And so I think there are a lot of golden nuggets in here and really valuable information that the 402 can take away. And so I want to make sure that if they love what they heard, they want to learn more about you, Tanya, and what you're doing and your retreats. Like, where can they find out more information about you? Um, So I like social media. I am trune 28 there's an underscore in there, so I'll just send that to you so you can put it in the show notes. TRUN28 is my Instagram handle, um, and then I'm on Facebook, just as Tanya Rooney. And then uh, my my short-term rental company is called Yay You're Here. So um, that's YYHMN.com or YYH Minnesota on, uh, on social media. And then I'm uh, my retreat company, like I love to gather people like that's that's kind of my goal is like how can I impact people by making connections so we're starting to do more retreats we've kind of we've actually been doing them for a little bit now I'm I'm just gonna actually market them and get other people besides just my friends uh, to come and hang out with me and that is yyh dot events and same thing like it'll be in the show notes because it's a very specific like yyh dot events uh, websites are very interesting these days uh but yeah like i'd love it if somebody wants to come and learn about real estate and business they just sign up and get on our list uh we're going to do a short-term rental event in january and then after that it'll be business and real estate retreats and it just means you know a dozen people come and hang out in a house and talk about business and you learn from people like it's so cool to learn from other people like the kinds of the kinds of things that somebody's really, really good at or what you are specifically really, really good at, bring that to a house and tell other people about it and let them learn from you. And, uh, you know, the kinds of things that happen are just magical after that. <laughs> oh, yeah, 100%. And I think everyone – so Tanya had one recently, and that's why I was out in Minnesota hanging out with her. And so the skills and the things that you learn from people just uh, off the cuff from conversation, not even from – you know, a formal like Not lesson that they did. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. It's just com- basic conversation. You learn a lot from people and the experiences that they had and that, you know, they are ready and willing to help you um, if you have any questions. So uh, us and the other girls were in a little group chat and it'll be nice to see how everyone progresses uh, after meeting up in person and kind of getting to know about one another. So well, yeah, and you spend you spend a weekend or a week in a house with like twelve other people. Like you're gonna run into them, and then you're gonna be like, "Oh, Janet is really really good at mortgage stuff, and I have this mortgage that I need to be looked at." And then you just call and say, "Hey, could you look at this?" And oh my gosh, voila, they'll help. And then you know, like there's just all these tactics that it's like you start getting these people in your community, and then learn what they're good at. That's the whole point of a retreat is learn what someone else is good at, and then copy them. And then when you have questions call them (laughs) it can be that simple (laughs) so yeah awesome so um there you have it 402 those are the different ways that you can connect with tanya and uh feel free to send me a message if any of you have ever bought a cd for a dollar uh (laughs) 
<laughs> or for 10 cents was it a we, it's like a penny i'll send a it penny to oh my gosh it. like it's totally yeah a thing. <laughs> um i'd we'd love to hear about it so that's all folks 402 did you learn something or take away a golden nugget then i'd love it if you would share this episode with a friend and i'd really also like to talk to you about real estate on instagram or linkedin so follow me at first deal show if you know someone that has an amazing first deal story or you just want to give us the dirt on your first deal shoot me an email at firstdealshow at gmail.com and let's get you on the show 402 thank you so much for listening i love all of you and i will see you next friday